May the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. If you have a Bible handy, I invite you to open to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, and 21, verses 24 to 25. It might be a little easier on this occasion if you simply look in your worship order, and you will find both texts printed for you there, and they, they will serve as our sermon text for the evening. Technically, we have come to the end of our series on John's Gospel, but today I want to tie up a couple of loose ends, one loose end in particular. Throughout John's Gospel, we have heard Jesus talk about life. We've heard Jesus talk about eternal life and abundant life. In his purpose statement for writing this book of signs, John says that these particular signs were written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. The question that I pose to you this evening, the question that I hope to answer by the end of the sermon, is not only what kind of life is this, it is eternal life, but the question that I hope that we will grapple with this evening is, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? And then hard on the heels of that, do you even want eternal life? And if so, how do you get it? If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word and listen with ears of faith the word of the Lord God. The Word of God reads, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, Amen. you may be seated. What is eternal life? Believe it or not, it is actually a difficult concept for us to define, much less to grasp. In his systematic theology, Louis Burkhoff defines eternal life as that which is elevated above all temporal limits and all succession of moments and possesses the whole of his existence in one indivisible present. So on that definition, eternal life would be that life that transcends all temporal limitations, such as space and time. If you're like me at all, you find no comfort or refreshment in that definition. All that does is raise more questions. It almost seems like a smokescreen, like I don't know how to answer this very well. So here... A lot of big words to confuse you. 
One trouble, one problem with this form of defining or this kind of definition is that it ends up sounding an awful lot like Greek philosophy. The ancient Greek philosophers were broken down basically into two camps and they considered eternity from two different points of view. Plato, for example, viewed eternity as a timeless and transcendent state totally outside the dimension of time. That sounds very much like what Burkhoff just said. Aristotle, on the other hand, viewed eternity as a motionless, changeless state, remote and qualitatively distinct from time. And you will find many people who think of eternity in those terms. It's just this unending thing. This not even a thing. This unending, uh, timeless state. Well, sadly, thanks to the influence of the Greek philosophers, even if you're not a philosopher, many of us are fundamentally influenced by them. So that means that we are fundamentally at odds with what the scriptures tell us about eternal life. Most of us tend to think of time, or we think of eternity and time as being at odds with each other, in conflict with one another. And so there's time, and we're trapped in time, and it has all these limitations. But if we could escape time and get outside of time, then we would be completely free and unbound. But then we have the issue of where is that eternal place, and how do you get there, and what do you do with all of that timeless time that you have called eternity. So I hope to change your mind about a couple of things this evening, maybe clarify a couple of issues. When we hear Jesus talk about eternal life, we tend to think of life that has no space, no time, no beginning, no end. We think sort of in Greek philosophical terms. We think like Greek philosophers when we should be thinking like Christian disciples. And worse than that, we think that eternal life is just a place or a thing or a state of being instead of thinking of eternal life as a person. And so again, my goal this evening is to help change your perspective on eternal life in such a way that when you think of eternal life, you will associate eternal life with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now I grant that that was a very strange introduction to this very important topic. But we need to be a little bit mystified and a little shaken and rattled in our, in our thinking so that we can understand the importance and the need for coming to grips with this term. It's likely that most of us have not taken a moment to think about eternal life very deeply. We inherit ideas. We, we are born into a culture that uh, gives us ideas. It's in the drinking water, as they say. It's in the air we breathe. Everyone knows what eternal life is. Sort of, right? But we spent a year in the Gospel of John, and now we're able to reflect back on the Gospel of John and, and ask, ask the question, what is eternal life according to Jesus Christ? The Greek and Hebrew words for eternal and eternity simply mean a long time or an epoch. 
But there's something we need to mark down as we gather together what the Scriptures teach about this. And I want you to note, mark this down well, the Scriptures are not as concerned with the quantity of life so much as they are concerned with the quality of life. So when the Scriptures talk about eternal life, they're not as concerned with the quantity of time that goes with life, but the quality that goes with that life. And they want us to see that all that life, all of that eternal life, is wrapped up and bound up with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I hope to show you that from the Gospel of John this evening. And so the one thing I want you to know about eternal life is this, that its condition, its location, its solution, and its relation are all in Christ. As John states in his first letter, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. And so I'm not making this up. It's not new to me. It's simply something that God has revealed that we're all, by His grace, able to see with fresh eyes this evening. First thing I want you to think about is the condition of eternal life. Condition or conditions of eternal life. Again, this has to do with the quality, not the quantity of life. John tells us at the very beginning of his gospel that in the Word, in the Word, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Later in the gospel of John, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so the life that is described as abundant life is a life that is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, eternal life is not about life that just goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever. It is actually about a new experience that is characterized by life in communion with God, in contrast to our old experience, which was characterized by sin and death and excommunication from God. I take you back to the beginning of the story in Scripture where God created man in His image. And because of his sin and disobedience to God, man is driven out of paradise, driven out of the presence of God. He experiences death, not death in his body, that comes later, but he experiences death in the sense that he is excommunicated from God, and he goes out into exile. When Jesus comes in the Gospel of John and John says that in him was life and that life was the light of men, we see the beginnings of his work of taking people who had been excommunicated from God and then brought back into fellowship with God through his own person and work. He removes from them sin and death which had separated them from God and by grace and by truth... He restores fellowship with God and man. To live, to move and exist outside of the life of God in Christ is simply to live and move and exist in sin and death and wrath. 
As Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The contrast in this teaching from Jesus is not simply between life and death, although it is, but is also a contrast between grace and wrath. Those who put their trust in Jesus experience the grace of God and the life of God in Christ, while those who refuse to put their trust in Jesus experience death, separation from God, and the wrath of God abides on Him. Eternal life also provides for us a solution to our deepest problems. Think of the solutions granted to us by eternal life. Eternal life is the solution to our truest and deepest needs, not simply our felt needs, our surface needs. Throughout John's Gospel, we are told that it quenches our thirst, it satisfies our hunger, it overcomes our mortality. In John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Earlier in John's Gospel, before this story, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then later, outside a tomb in the graveyard of a friend, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Eternal life is the solution that Christ provides to us for our truest and deepest needs. The hunger and the thirst of our souls. It overcomes the mortality that we all experience due to our own sin and death. So when Jesus gives those who trust in Him this gift of eternal life, He is giving to them the thing they need the most. It is a true gift that is not earned by the person who trusts in Him. It is the true gift that is not merited by the sinner who turns to Christ in faith. It is a gift that is received from Him. And it is this gift that satisfies His truest and deepest needs. It is the solution to the problems, the deepest problems, that any person created in the image of God under heaven ever experiences. Consider the location of eternal life. This is what we generally think of when we think of eternal life. It's tempting for us to imagine that eternal life is a place beyond space and time. It is a place in another dimension. After all, Jesus said He was going to prepare a place for you in His Father's house. And so it's natural for us to kind of think along these lines that eternal life, that must be a different place than where I am right now. 
I went to a memorial service yesterday for a friend who has passed on from this life, and a few people mentioned what is often mentioned at memorial services and funerals. They mentioned that this person has gone to a better place. And part of me thought, yes, he has gone to a better place. But another part of me thought, but that's not good enough. There's more to life eternal than going to a better place. And I want you to start thinking along these lines that we are not just striving and living and trying to get to a better place. We're not escape artists. We're not trying to avoid life in this world. We're trying to get to a better person. And when I say a better person, I don't mean that we're trying to go to a family reunion up in the sky beyond the clouds. No, we're trying to get to Christ. We're trying to get into the presence of the triune God. So I want you to see that eternal life is not a location in and of itself. It is not a destination for which you should strive to live your life. Eternal life is not the final destination. It should not be the goal for, that you set for yourself. Eternal life is, a, is something that is located in someone else. As Jesus says... I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Think about that. He gives eternal life, but he gives eternal life to people who happen to be in his hand. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you take together things you've heard and seen in the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus is the source of eternal life. He is also the means of eternal life, and He is the goal of eternal life. I recall reading somewhere, perhaps hearing a sermon on this somewhere, where the question is posed, if you could have heaven... Without Christ, would you still want to go? If you could see a city with pearly white gates and streets of gold and flowing streams and a tree of life, but Christ were not there, would you still want to go there? And if you've learned anything from John's gospel, your answer should be, no way. Because the goal of our pilgrimage and journey is not to arrive at a new destination, an eternal vacation spot. The goal of our destination, the goal of our journey and pilgrimage is to arrive in Christ, in whom is eternal life, who is eternal life in his own person. And that brings us to the relation of eternal life. Relation meaning something that's personal, relative to all of us, relative to how uh, we are to God. In John 17, Jesus is praying and he says something interesting in the prayer. Since you have given the Son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
You see that even in this prayer as Jesus describes for us what eternal life is, he describes it in relational terms. It is about people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ knowing God the Father. In other words, it's about the restoration of fellowship and communion between people who are once separated from God, who are now united to Christ and in communion with God once again. Eternal life is something that is experienced, how? Through the knowledge of God. And not just the intellectual knowledge of God, the way theologians might think about the things of God and formulate ideas of God, but this is through the interpersonal knowledge of who God is. Where relationship is forged not by the efforts and not by the works of sinner saints, but where relationship is forged by the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John will echo this in his first epistle. In 1 John 1, 2 and 3, he says this life, he's describing Jesus, but he says the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. Jesus Christ. So you see how eternal life, there's more to eternal life than what we typically imagine. There's more than the Greek philosophers understood. There's even more to it than some theologians seem to understand. But John has made clear to us in his gospel that eternal life is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus who comes into our world, enters into our story to restore us back to fellowship with God. So this eternal life is about fellowship with God. And it begins now. You can have eternal life now and not yet. You have eternal life now in the sense that you have put your trust in Christ. You believe that He is the Son of God and you have eternal life now. You have all these things we've said now and not yet. You have them now in a way that is partial, in a way that is limited. But one day you will have them fully and totally without limitation. So eternal life is not something that you should put out on the horizon and hope and pray that perhaps someday you will attain it or achieve it or accomplish it. You don't have to think in those terms. For all of you who put your trust in Christ, you've received this gift now. And you can begin living in light of eternity now because you have the life of the Son of God in your life. You who once were exiles because of sin and death have now been brought home by the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
So if we ask the question, what is eternal life? The answer should be, eternal life is the gift accomplished for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Or if you want to be really technical, and if you want to really impress your friends, you would say, eternal life is Jesus Christ. He is true God. He is the eternal life. In Him was life, and that life is the light of men. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and it is through Christ that we come to the Father. Now, why would I preach these things to you this evening? I preach these things to you for the same reason John wrote his letter and the same reason he wrote his gospel. I preach these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to be assured by the person and work of Jesus Christ that this gift is yours now in Christ. But I also preach these things to you who do not yet believe in the name of the Son of God that perhaps you may believe in Him and that you also will have eternal life in His name. The Heidelberg Catechism has for years been a, um, uh, a work that I've used in my reflections and meditations, my personal devotional life. Most of us know the first question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, and He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. We're less familiar with question two, which says, What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Answer, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Three things. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Always remember and never forget those things. And this is how you will live and die in the joy of this comfort of the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. But here's a deeper cut. Question 58. How does this article concerning life everlasting or eternal life comfort you. Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined. 
a blessedness in which to praise God forever. I hope that you find comfort in this truth of the gospel, in this promise of the gospel to you. What is eternal life? It is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Next question. Do you even want eternal life? And I'm not asking, do you want to live forever and ever and ever world without end? That's not my question. Do you want to know God? Do you want to be in communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Do you want eternal life if it means knowing God, but maybe not going to some imaginary fantasy land, but just knowing God? Do you want that? And if so, the question you might ask is, how do I get that? How do I get eternal life? What must I do to gain eternal life? We might be so energized that we'd be willing to do anything. Leap over tall buildings with a single bound. Memorize vast chunks of Scripture. Go to church all the time. Maybe give our lives as missionaries. We might do anything to gain eternal life. What could we possibly do? And the answer is nothing. That would defeat the purpose of the promise, wouldn't it? Well, the answer is... For you to gain eternal life, you must simply do this. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. And He will give you the free gift of eternal life in His name. And don't overlook the part about it being in His name. Because the promise of eternal life is not given to you in the name of a church or a denomination. It is not given to you in the name of a pastor. It is given to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the only one who has the authority to grant life to any sinner. And it is on the basis of His promise, on the basis of His power, that He offers eternal life to sinners. And they're the only ones to whom He offers this eternal life. So how do you get this? How do you lay hold of it? How do you make it your own? How do you take it as your possession? By trusting in Him. And that's what He said, right? That was the word of promise. If you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, you will have life in His name. And it is my hope and prayer that you and people you love and care about will come to believe who He is and what He has done for sinners. And that you too may enjoy the great comfort of this promise given to us in Christ. Let us pray together. O oh God, the strength of all who put their trust in You, mercifully accept our prayers and because in our weakness we can do no good without You. Give us the help of Your grace that in keeping Your commandments we may please You both in will and in deed through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.